When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. Isn't it good to be alive? Today it is. So uh, welcome to Jennifer Unter. What a great honor it is for me to welcome you here. And before I forget, I am Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And Jennifer, (laughs) I'm not sure you'd be happy to be here. We can hear the airplanes going by here uh, near Tel Aviv. True. Um, not the things that are too terrific in New York, but um, yeah. anyway, I, um, I would trade places with you for a fortnight or so. I'm sure. And uh, and Jennifer Unter of the Unter Literary Agency. And uh, tell us about what you do and wave a few books around. It's wonderful to have you on the program. And I have a, I, I was going to say a dozen zillion questions to ask. Okay, I'm ready. Um, I am thrilled to be here. I think this is a great program, and thank you for asking me to come on. Um, I'm happy to show some of my recent um, books that have just come out. Here's one. Oops, let's read Animal Words. Came out from, I'm really not doing this well. Um, Yes, you are. Okay, <laughs> watching the it go off the side, so like fun word kind of, um, and seconds. Spend a few seconds. Tell us. Oh, okay. About the so book. This one, um, it is really about teaching kids how to read, and in a way that is very visual. So, um, like. There is a horse with, you know, the H as as the horse itself, and flamingo obviously looks like a flamingo, um, and written by a Korean author who um, wanted to help his children learn how to read English. Oh, um, G. Lee is his name, and, and was illustrated by. Oh, he illustrated himself. Ah, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And another one is that monster on the block, which um, is written by Sue Gann Schmidt and illustrated by Luke Flowers. They have another one coming out. This was published um, by Amazon and it's really cute and fun and um, all about how um, a clown moves into the monster. 
town and they don't understand what a clown is and they're really suspicious that he's not who they are. Um, but they learn that he's actually, you know, a great guy. Good message for um, learning about people who are different from you, which we all need to. We all need to, to do that. Um, this is just came out a couple years ago, but of course it was Diwali. And we, 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 can, we can wish everybody happy Diwali while we're here. Exactly, exactly. Diwali was yesterday. Um, and this was written by Courtney Pippin Mother and her sister-in-law, Sanyukta Mother. And it's beautiful, all about the holiday um, of lights and what they do to prepare and get ready um, and celebrate with their whole family and what they eat. And it's this great, beautiful spread um, of what the holiday is like. And that came out from Henry Holt, and they have a new book coming out about Holy the Holiday um, next year. Here's another one. It's called Flip Floppy, and it is about um, a Kenyan Dow that was made from plastic. And this is a true story. And um, the author is Linda Rabin Lodding, and she wrote it with Depeche Pabari, who lives in Kenya, illustrated by Michael Machira Mwangi. He was also uh, lives in Kenya. And it is just a gorgeously illustrated um, story of how these um, plastic flip-flops ended up on a beach. And they figured, well, we need to do something with this. So it's a great story of recycling and upcycling and learning what to do with all the plastic that, you know, we have, unfortunately, in our oceans. Um, and they ended up with this gorgeous boat. And, and actually, King Charles just went to visit them and, um, and learned about what they're doing there. So that is amazing, too. Um, oh, my God, I'm really... I gotta get this. It's good, no, because uh, Jennifer, we don't want to show too much. Yeah. And um, and when you have like new picture books coming out, please introduce me to the authors, the illustrators. Okay. I'd love to uh, interview them as well. But Great. this gives a little window on the type of uh, people and books that you're representing. And um, sometimes, you know, when I see agents say, uh, "We want to hear from all over the world." We want to hear diverse voices, but sometimes I really ask myself whether they, they really mean it or maybe they mean it, but they don't do it mm. uh, because agents usually gravitate to people who are very similar to them, uh, like all of us, I suppose. Uh, but you're really, um, you know, you're really taking on international projects. You know, I try. I, I wish I did more, to be honest. Um, I feel like there is not enough about people who we don't know about. And, and I think that's what, you know, unfortunately we end up with today is a lot of um, hatred for other people because they don't know who those people are. So when you're a child and you learn about things that you don't know, 
then there's empathy and there's um, it fosters a feeling of I want to know about this this celebration or this person or this group um, because it's different from mine. And I think the you know if you look at what's happening in the U.S. with the book bans. What do you think that's going to help people? No, it doesn't help people. It it hurts in the end because then it's you're more insular and you feel like when you're a child, I don't know about that person who lives in, you know, yeah, wherever, Korea or Africa or Israel and um and so I don't like them or I don't know them because it's not who it's not me. So I think the more we can do that, then obviously the better humanity is. Um, well, as somebody who grew up in a small city in, in Canada and was subjected to quite a lot of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. um, from friends of mine in high school, mm-hmm. who when they found out I was Jewish, they said, well, how, could you, how could you be Jewish? You know, you Christ killer, you. Um, so if there were more books about the good Jews and the goodness of the Jewish people, maybe people would um, understand that we deserve to be loved and uh, and not um, vilified. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So we have to do something about that. In the yes. meantime, in the meantime, we'll get back to this. Um, you uh, had a career as a lawyer. Uh, in corporate law, and you uh, worked it as an editor. And um, as um, my mom, my late mother would say, what is this Michigas of being a literary agent? <laughs> Run uh, it was, career. Start at the yeah. I was born. Uh, okay. Well, it was, a, it was a circuitous trajectory to get to where I am, which is actually, you know, it's fine. And, and I'm happy because it melds a lot of things that I love. Um, I was an English major in college, and I. You oh know, no, 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 Jennifer, go back. I was. Oh born. no, really? I was. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, they, you, you haven't listened to enough of my uh, interviews. I want to know why you're stuck at the age of five. Come on, start at the beginning. Okay. Okay. Um, I grew up in New Jersey with parents of. Um, my mom was from Brooklyn. My dad was from the Bronx. So very New York. Um, Jew, Jewish parents. Um, but they ended up in Jersey because they wanted some land for their children and um, was, you know, a lovely suburban childhood and um, ended, you know, with my parents not really sticking around, but that's okay. <laughs> we don't have to go there. Um, and uh, then I ended up going to college. One in second, West, let's go. Is... Let, let's let's go there for a moment because yeah. What do you Don't mean they didn't stick around? Oh, my parents. Well, they. My point is, I think they they missed um, being in New York, and my dad ended up moving back to Manhattan. Uh, my mom's still in Jersey, though. So um, I think you know when you when you want to do something for your children, like move to the suburbs, and it's not exactly what you want, um, is it the right thing? Who knows? Um, I think, you know, it, there's, for there's me- a, There's a story here. Yeah, there's a story there. There's always a story, right? 
Yeah. That's part of the reason why I didn't want to move to the suburbs. I think I, you know, wasn't. Uh, but you grew up there until what age? Um, I moved, you know, after college, I moved home for about six months and then um, moved to Manhattan. So I would say till I was, you know, 21 and then moved into the city. Um and and I'm still I'm not in Manhattan anymore. I'm in the Bronx, but still in in New York City, and um, and went to college in the Midwest, which was great, and had a different experience um, living in a place that wasn't New York at all. And you know, you think. Yeah, by the way, there are such places, you know. I know, and you're like, oh, everybody's slower. I mean, it's it's a different pace, and it was actually great um, to to just live in a different part of America because we have such a big country, and the reality is, so much of um, of America is is different and diversified, and um, places that you don't experience when you grow up, obviously, in in one area, um, and. I moved back home and then moved into Manhattan and started working at a publishing house. I, I worked at Henry Holt for five what, what years. Did, what did you study in college? Oh, I was an English major. Yep. Were you, were you a writer? Did you write things or you just? You know, I did. I did. I published a couple of small things in journals and I thought I wanted to be a writer and I think I just don't have the patience. You, know, you really need to like sit down and spend the time and um, and not be distracted by things. And and I, uh, you know, I still write a little bit, but I don't. Um, I don't have that that hours and hours and hours in me. And I. I think it just took it took me a long time to figure that out, and also I think you know when you work in this industry, you read your clients and and other writers, and you're like, well, they are so much better than me at this, so I'm good at, at this part. I'm not so good at that part, and that's actually you know it's good. And it, 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 I think I'm also I learned as an editor at Henry Holt that um, I was an editorial assistant that. I'm not a great editor either. I think, you know, I can edit and I can read things that I think, well, this should, you know, be changed or we're missing something here. But the very, like, detail minutia, I get impatient with that too. So I think it was a good way to learn um, what you don't want, right? That's what you figure out when you're working is, well, this isn't for me. I loved it. I love my boss. I had a great boss named Alan Peacock, and he taught me a ton. It was a great place to work. At the time, it was um, not owned by Macmillan, so it was very um, homey, and um, Bruno Quinson ran it, and he knew everybody's birthday. And then and while I was there, it started to get more corporate. It was bought by Holtzbrink. And um, they brought in, you know, a different CEO and a, um, a new head of, of editorial. And then editorial assistants were not allowed to go to the editorial meetings anymore. So it just kind of got like a little bit 
mm, you know, like, oh, I see the, I see where this is going. And, um, and I went to work for a literary agent. I went to work for Barney Karpfinger, who I learned so much from him too. I, I worked there for, uh, four years, I believe. I worked at Holt for five years. I worked at Barney's for four-ish. Hold, hold, hold on a second. But, uh, yeah. When you work as an editor, you get a salary. Yeah. Most literary agents get percentages. Yes. Well, I or wasn't... Always. Yeah. Um, for Barney, I was salaried because I wasn't doing deals. So there was no... It wasn't commission-based. Um, I was working just salary based. I was helping him. I did, he was amazing at contracts and I learned more from him, uh, doing contracts than I did going to law school, which is, you know, another story. Um, but he, um, he taught me a ton and I actually worked for Liv Bloomer worked there and she used to run um, sub rights department at Warner Books when it was Warner Books. And I learned a ton from her on the on the foreign side. So I was salaried and I did domestic subsidiary rights. So I sold audio and I sold well, audio wasn't even big then. I sold um, for cereal, which still happened and and for decent money. Um, and I helped her with foreign. So it was it was not a commission based job. And and I was going to law school at night. So my last year at Henry Holt, I was in law school at night and then worked for Barney and was um, rushing off and going to law school. And then um, when I graduated law school, I, um, I went to work for uh, an entertainment law firm. Then as a lawyer, copyright a, law. Correct. Yes, lawyers I did make, make the same Lawyers thing. make a serious salary. Yeah, I, you know, I made money, but I, I didn't like it. <laughs> I was really unhappy. Um, even though it was a small boutique law firm, um, I it was a, such a different vibe than working in publishing. You know, you had to account for your hours. You had to work late. You had to take on things that you didn't necessarily want to and, and learn, you know, it was great because I learned copyright. I learned trademark. I learned how to, how to drop an agreement and, and what to do in a dispute and all that. And it was, it was actually a great. And, and, and you learned, you learned that you spent five years studying something that you didn't want to do. I know. <laughs> no, but I mean, mo mo most people, including people dear to me, um, are, are lawyers who, um, they, they got used to, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you make uh, money and you think, hmm, I could stay here. But I think my my issue was, and even in a small boutique firm, there was one female partner. And I looked at her life. She had small kids, young kids. She was at work all the time. And I thought, I want that. But that's not, my, that's not what I want my life to be. You know, I want to be... I want to have a career, but also be a mom. And, um, and it just was not appealing. And I think when you go from uh, um, a career in publishing where 
they really do, you know, despite the fact that it's low pay, um, they really do try to give you some, you know, sense of, of, um, independence. Like you should go and, and look for this author. Like when you're a young editor, you're told go out and read everything you want and see if that person wants to re- wants to write a book. Um, it was also a different time, you know, so you weren't like on, on, uh, social media all the time looking in that way you were, you were actually reading. Um, so they gave, it was a sense of independence. Whereas at, um, at the law firm, it was like, you're beholden to us and you have to stay here and I don't care what your life is. You're just sitting here until this is done. And and people just, you know, when you're low on the totem pole, they just shove all this work at you. And and that's how you're supposed to learn. And it's it's fine if you love it, but I just didn't love it enough to, to deal with it. And I really missed publishing. And um and I missed the the agency side. You know, I, it was exciting because when you're an agent, you um, you're not only you can you can look for the projects and you can make the deal, which is exciting and and um, uh, innervating, but also you can do the editorial side too. You you read a proposal and you're like, oh, this isn't quite where it needs to be. I can make this better and then send it out and somebody else can actually, you know, do the, the nitty gritty editing. So it, it seemed like a perfect, um, a perfect meld for me. And, um, I went to work for, uh, a, an agency that was called RLR. It's no longer around. And they did, um, most of the, the employees there were on the sports side, but they had a publishing arm and, um, the person who ran it was leaving. So I was in charge of, I think there was like 50 clients. And so it was like, I was thrown in and, and it was great. It was a great experience of learning and figuring out what to do. I mean, there was a lot of like backlog work that I had to do and, and, um, get up to speed on, on these authors who, uh, you know, I didn't know. And, didn't know what their books were, um, but I could bring in my own. And and it was really, it was great. Then you started your own. And then I started my own. Well, I got fired. <laughs> I know. Um, it's okay. I don't, it, you know, it actually another I life. Mean, you, you, but you can tell a story, you know. Um, yeah, I, it was I a decided. good story. Yeah, it was a good story. It was actually, I think, you know, somebody who worked there did not love me and um, and I had the bigger office and and they um, didn't like that and so you know I was also I had young kids and I was um, closing my door to pump you know it was like a, it, it was a weird time and not a great place to be a woman who was you know trying to to juggle a life and career. Um, and so I, I ended up getting fired. Um, and a best thing that happened, the best thing that happened because it was, it was a very easy place for me to work. I was, you know, I was in charge and I had people working for me and I had a nice salary and, and I had benefits and, and then I had nothing. And I thought, I have to make something here myself. I don't need to 
I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. I can figure this out. I mean, when I, the week I got fired, my husband said, you're starting your own agency because I've been talking about it. I had a two-year-old and, um, and a five-year-old. And he said, you don't need to go back to work. You should start your own thing. And I applied for an LLC that week. So, you know, one of those things. Which you knew how to do. He knew how to do. Well, I knew how to do because I was a lawyer, but he knew how to do it even more because he started his own company. So it was, um, he was very helpful. And, and um, how, many, how, many, how many years has it been? So that was in 20, 2008. Wow. So you like yeah. have now your own company for 13 years. Yep. And I'm sure at the beginning, there's uh, nothing coming in. Then slowly yeah. things come in and uh, you've grown up. Yeah. Well, it was probably the worst time to start anything. If you remember 2008, it was like the, you know, the crash. Jennifer, there's never, there's never, a good there's time. never a good time. There's never a good time. I mean, people could say now is a terrible time. I'm sure. Another, I mean, yeah. an, an, another story. Yeah, um, exactly. So, 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 so now the question is, uh, now we can get to a little bit of nitty gritty here. Um, I love agents who concentrate on children's literature. If you'll have to, in a paragraph, Tell us why you concentrate on children's literature and a lover of picture books. Yay. Yay. I know. Um, I think because there's such joy in, in doing this and um, you, you kind of get a message in a very short period of time, you know, really distilled and, um, and it's, usually beautiful and it's usually fun and it's usually meaningful. And so you get all that in one very small little package. And then there's, you know, the illustration on top of it, which I don't represent illustrators. I represent a couple of author illustrators, but, um, and then, you know, you have this, the text, and then you see the, the illustrations come in and the sketches and you're like, wow, this is really, it's just, it's just a, um, it's joyful in a way that I think adult publishing is not always joyful. Um, I, I do both. You, you, you know, you, I, you real, do you realize how much angst there is for yes, us authors? Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> another, another agent has been on the show and say, oh, um, I'm not going to name names, but also another favorite of mine. And he says, it's all about joy. Yeah. And I'm saying... Oy vey, not, not all joy. about it. <laughs> vey, this joy. I know, wow. I know. It's angsty. Everything is angsty, and and publishing is um is not an easy, obviously not an easy profession. Writing is not an easy profession. There's it, there's you know even when you have a book published, there's not yeah. So you you know you you look at your royalty statement, right, and you say what. Well, how is this possible? It only sold, you know, 3,000 copies and and the publisher's not doing anything about it. And, you know, yes. Yeah, but those, those, we're talking now about the one in a thousand authors that gets a publishing deal. So we're yeah. going to we're gonna go back there in a moment. But yeah. uh, I'm going to ask you now what I ask all the people I interview, which is, are you a five-year-old at heart? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm well, a five-year-old. I, 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 think I, certainly, I'm, I certainly don't know. You have to yeah, tell us. I don't know. I think there's, you know, I, I definitely can tap into my my inner child, but I'm also, 
uh, like really type A. So I don't think much many five year olds are type A. <laughs> just, you know, I, I work a lot and um, and I'm super organized and uh, uh, you know I think I can I can reach into uh, a feeling of this is what I think kids would like and having children. Hold on, what Jennifer? And I'm going to stop you now. Yeah. Okay. What kids will like. But at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about what kids need. Mm. And when when I was, let's say, because I'm I'm older, um, way back in the day, uh, picture books were more message driven. Yeah. And it was okay to write the message first and the story later. Um, today, the authors are taught, no, 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 write a good story. Yeah. But now I'm really wondering. So shine a little light here, please. I think you need both. I think you need both. Yeah. You need to have the the story that, that has a message that children want to read again and again and again because it's fun, but that they understand, well, when you throw books around, that's not the right thing to do. Or when you... Um, when you're you aren't nice to your friend, that is maybe you should go talk to them after. You know, so there is. I think when you have both is when you really hit the sweet spot, and um, and it's hard to do. It really is. You know, I, I have a lot of authors who, apart from my picture book authors, I have other authors who are middle grade or, or young adult or even adult, and they say I wrote this picture book, and I read it, and I'm like. You need to go and read like 35 picture books and then come back to me and, and tell me you wrote a picture book because you're you're writing something that is too didactic and and not, you know, something that kids are gonna love and and then then we're getting nowhere with this. So I it, it's very difficult, as you know. It, it's, yeah, you know. I, Jennifer, yeah, okay, but Jennifer, yeah. if somebody sends you yeah. a manuscript. It has this amazing, brilliant story, okay? Uh, while we're talking, you know, I'm thinking about my favorite book growing up, which was Madeline by mm. Ludwig Bammelmans. I'm hard-pressed to find the message here. Uh, it's, it's an incredible story. Um, yeah. isn't, isn't it okay to write a wonderful story and then let the chips fall where they may and read a response and death of the author and let the kids figure out their own message and the parents? Um, yes, I'm looking, I'm looking to see if I have a, uh, yeah. So here's an example. Meowloween, super story about a kitty on Halloween who, um, is in with all, you know, the children and the young cat gets lost in the scrum with the kids and then the mom finds them. Ah, not a story, you know, <laughs> just a cute book. And um, I mean, not a message, just a story. And um, and I think, you know, it's it, it, it works because it's tied to a holiday. And um, and when I saw all, this just came out in September and, you know, in October, it was all over the place and displays um, in, in bookstores that were doing Halloween displays. So it works because you have something to tie it to. So yes, it can work. It just, um, 
there has to be maybe uh, something else that that um, that works with it, or that it's such a good story that nobody can can turn it down, which is hard. <laughs> no, I, because, no, you, you, you've really uh, you've opened an Oyve Pandora's box here. <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it's okay. So, so you said here. Uh, this is this is where the fun begins, Jennifer. Um, you say, okay, um, so we, we agree that the story should be first and, and then the meaning um, yes. and the inference. But then you say, okay, but you can have just a beautiful story, but it has to be marketable. It has to connect right. with the holiday, a um, a, um, a something. And that's Oive also, because then we, we go and then people are going to say, that agents, when they read a story, uh, they're looking for something that they can sell easily, not something that's beautiful. Um, well, you have to have both. I'm sorry to say, you know, it's really, it's it's such a tough time to sell anything, anything, really. I mean, look at publishing. It's like every, every week you read about book sales are down, book sales are down, book sales are down. After the pandemic, when book sales were up, for two something years, it's been phew. So, um, so now publishers are reassessing and and you know gobbling each other up, as you know too. And there's fewer publishers, although amazingly but, enough, but, but Jennifer, Jennifer, this business goes up and down and up and down. Of course, and uh, yes. and, and, I, and I, people still have children. Yes. Um, I don't know exactly how that happens, but the people have children and <laughs> children need books. And you're selling books now anyway for 2026 yeah. uh, or beyond. And um, and probably things will rebound in some way or other. Yeah. And if I'm still having this, uh, these conversations, we can connect in three years. We should both be healthy. Um, and um, we'll say... Has the as the industry rebounded? So let let's be optimistic here. We can be both pe- pessimistic about the world, but let's be optimistic about children's books, and say that the world is going to rebound. It's it's still yeah. hard to sell a picture book. Right. Well, hard. what I was going to say is, um, despite the fact that that you know the big five have become even more corporate, and they look for you know the the next picture book that can become, you know, a Nickelodeon special. There's a ton of small publishers who have come up in the last, you know, five years that are picture book only. And then they do beautiful books. And um, one of them is, you know, what I just showed here. Flip Floppy was beaming books. They do beautiful books. And um, and there's a bunch of other ones that I can think of. And and I've been really doing a lot of business with the smaller picture well, book there, publishers. There you go, you see. So yeah. there are things happening. And even the, big, even the big five, once upon a time, were little five. They were actually little 500 and they became the big five. Exactly. Every, exactly. every publishing house starts from somebody yeah. who was fi- fired from another you know. I agree. I, the problem, and and not that this is a problem, but the the issue with the smaller publishers is they they don't have a big um, you know publicity or marketing reach. So you really have to, as the author, um, decide that you know either that's okay with you, and however many books sell, sell, or that you're going to take 
that mantle on your shoulders and you're going to go out and, and do as much publicity as possible. And, and I have authors who do that and they go and do readings at schools and they do readings at libraries and they, um, they have a lovely, uh, career doing that. So, um, it's not easy. I'm just saying, you know, there's nothing easy about, about this, this publishing life, really. It's not like here, this is, uh, we're handing you a bestseller. It never happens, but, um, but it can be rewarding and, um, and hopefully, you know, not as angsty as, (laughs) as other things. Okay. A little bit more nitty gritty now. Um, Agents like you get thousands of submissions a year. Yes. How do I wade through them? Well, the odds are for an author are less than a 1,000 to 1, uh, usually. You know, an agent will get between two and 12,000 submissions a year, depending on how open they are. <laughs> and except maybe two or three or four you people. If you're different, tell me. Oh, no, I get a ton. I get, you know, 30 a day, 40 a day. Um, so is the question is, what do I do with them? Or do I look at them? What's what am I? What's the question? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. I mean, we have a lot of people um, listening who are aspiring authors. Um, yeah. And uh, we all need good agents, you know, but um, yeah. tell us what the secret is from the other side? Yeah. So I would say um, I do read my queries. I don't usually read them when I get them. I'll, you know, take a moment usually each day and read queries that I, you know, I, I missed a month ago, <laughs> which is not, not great either because sometimes those are gone. You know, another agent snapped them up, but I just don't have the bandwidth sometimes. Um so they get read usually, and I have talked to a lot of agents who they definitely all read their queries. Um, I think the secret to getting somebody to request is, um, first of all, if if another agent is interested, then you know you send your email out to all the other agents. Say I have an interested agent, then everybody seems to be able to read it in time. Or you do something like where I met you at the SCBWI Israel um, Zoom, where I I then said after I did my presentation, whoever listened to this, you can send me your your picture book and I will read it. So everybody who sent me a picture book, I and I'm I still have them submissions because I haven't quite gone through them all, but. I read every single one. And so when you do something like that or you do another, you know, workshop in person or, you know, I, I do these like Reader's Digest um, uh, workshops where you're just like quickly meeting people, that's the way to be able to get your work read. And um, having, you know, uh, other sort of if you're a part of SCBWI, doing that either in person or um, on those Zooms or, you know, they have weekend conferences, which I've been to also, another great way of meeting people in the profession. And um, it's just, a, you know, you have to kind of get out there and not just um, 
be at home writing. You know, once you think you have something that's finished and hopefully you've you've workshopped it and had other people read it too and you feel like you're ready to go out with it, then you know, look at what what's in your area, what what um, uh, conferences or or Zoom meetings or writers communities, and and that's how you you're you should get you know meet people who are who work in publishing, and it doesn't even have to be an agent; it can be an editor. And sometimes I've had editors say, "I live, I love this work, um, but this person needs an agent. Can you read it?" Um, so it works that way too. Okay. Um, so this is going to be my last question, unless you have other questions. This is something that's been bothering me and I've interviewed many agents, but you're the first one who gets the question. Uh Um, it's a very personal thing. And, um, you obviously want to represent people that you feel you can work with. Uh, but usually, all you get is one story that is very easy to reject. Um, speak to me about being able to judge an author on the basis of, of, of one submission. Or to look at a manuscript and say, oh, I'm not taking this, but you, you, you might not be taking this because you're not attentive to what it could be. Because sometimes agents will say to me, oh, Mel, this doesn't work for me, or the standard thing. And so once in a while, an agent will say, oh, you know, could you turn this into a um, <laughs> into merry-go-round? Right. Um, so how, how, how does that work for you? This is a quandary that I haven't figured out yet. Yeah. How do you get an agent to see beyond the single two-dimensional manuscript to see potential beyond right. that? Yep. Um, it's a good question because I, I ask myself that too. And sometimes I read something that I think, I like this, but it's not quite there and I don't know how to fix it or I don't want to know how to fix it or I have no bandwidth to fix it or any whatever um and I will ask that person you know when you have future work please send it to me so I try to leave it open I mean unless I read something that I'm like well this is awful and I'm never I never want to read this person again you know I try to be open and I have in the past in fact I have another one this is an excellent example so this um, grandpa's scroll um, about a Korean girl who uh, whose grandfather dies and um, she never gets to to meet him. Um, these authors I've been working uh, tangentially with for years, and she initially Ginger Park is the author. She sent me something, and I said. Mm, and then she sent me something else and I said, mm. and she sent me this and I'm like, this is great. And I sold it. And now we have two more picture books under contract. So that's, that's a wonderful story. Yeah, it's a great story. And, um, and in fact, she wrote a middle grade that I tried to sell and I, and I couldn't, but I thought it was great, but you know, it was, uh, 
didn't didn't hit the the right note for people. So, you know, it it is a process, and and if an agent shows a little bit of interest in your work, then um, then maybe you say, well, is it you know, can I send you something in the future? And and that's a way to kind of leave that door open a little. Um, and hopefully, most agents, I think, you know, if, if they see something in your work, then they're going to want to see something else that, you know, when once you've developed a little more as an author, you know, nobody's the same after, after two years or three years or even 10 years. So, um, I like to leave the door open and, um, and I, it's worked out in the past. So, um, you know, I would say for, for authors who, who want to get their foot in the door, if they if an agent is, you know, giving you a nice rejection, then maybe say, I have other things. Can I show it to you? You know, at some point and hopefully they'll say yes. That's wonderful. Uh, any other parting advice before I ask you about the why you really do this? Um, parting advice is, you know, there is a perseverance. There really is. You have to, um, you have to keep going with it. And and my most successful authors are ones who get rejected and get rejected and get rejected and keep going. And. Um, and, and hopefully have, you know, some success in the future. And I'll, I'll give you one more example. Um, so this is another author who I've been working with a long time. Her name is Tracy Kyle. And um, Pepe and the Parade is uh, a book that she wrote a while ago. And it's it's just exponentially, like, at first it it didn't do anything. And it just keeps selling. And so Little B is the publisher, and they just did a board book. And now they want another book. And so, you know, it, it does build on itself. And so even when um, it might feel like things aren't going so well, uh, keep going and maybe think about a different way to sell your book in a way that, um, you know, if you don't love social media, maybe there's a uh, a different festival near you, or maybe there's, um, you know, something that's a little different than, than what the publisher is doing. Think outside of the box. Maybe is my advice. I hate that saying, but (laughs) yeah, I teach my students to think between the boxes. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Jennifer, this has been wonderful. I'm going to, um, just sum up that I think that what you're doing is what the Jewish people call a tikkun. And I want you to correct me. In other words, um, and this is something, you know, I, I know that you um, uh, were both Jewish and you, um, you know, you, um, I heard you in your SBWI, you like Jewish stories. But it, my, my bone to pick is basically Judaism is not about the Hanukkah that can't find the candles, or the matzah that thinks it's a hat. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's actually about being a good human being. Yeah. And uh, if we're going to make a plug for the Jewish people, let's do that. The most important thing in Judaism, and this is what is most understood, is that you, you don't have to believe in anything to be Jewish. Yeah. Uh, but if there is one thing you should do, it's to be a good human being. Mm-hmm. And and I see when we started talking, and I, I've had some interactions with you, 
um, you want the world to be a better place through your work on children's books. Correct me. No, I can't because I think that is why I do what I do. It's not easy being an agent either. You know, you say it's not easy being an author. Believe me, I get rejection after rejection every day. And, um, and I have to just say, this is worth it. It's worth it. And, um, and uh, you know, working with small publishers, you get small advances, but it's worth it. And, um, and I do think that, you know, what, what I'm doing is it's, it's for a better world. I mean, it's, it's reading, you know, people don't read enough. <laughs> people don't talk to each other enough. People don't look at, at um, differences enough and appreciate differences. And so I think this is a way to, to do that, to get children to do that. And, and if they grow up um, understanding that, then, then you are, helping humanity. Um, so yes, I can't argue with you on that. This is your tikkun. Exactly. Jennifer Unter, it's been a great joy. Um, I would keep uh, talking to you all day, uh, but it's been 50 wonderful minutes. And um, I'm just going to say goodbye. We're going to go off and come back. So we'll do a little okay. sum up, just you and me. Uh, okay. And everybody else can be jealous, and they should be. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you so much uh, for your generosity and your kindness. And um, you are a terrific uh, person. You know, people sometimes um, uh, demean agents, uh, partly because they have to turn down 99.9% .9 of their submissions. Right. And right. Um, Whenever I um, interview an agent, I find a, a jewel. So, uh, yeah, you're right thank up. You. So, thank you for what you do. And um, I'm going to sign off uh, before I forget and say that my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network here in Israel. And I've been talking to the wonderful literary agent Jennifer Unter, who has her own wonderful agency. And she's in the Bronx, and she's open to submissions. Are you? Yes, I am. Okay. And if you should, should submit, you should mention that you saw us together, right? Yes, that would be great. In the subject line of your email. In the subject line. Well, does it get better than that? Jennifer, <laughs> we're going to go and, go and come. And thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Mel. This was amazing. Bye.